0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Building the Data Driven Foundation for Your Digital Transformation, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Verado. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra, I'm the editor in chief of Health Systems CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You could send in your questions or comments in the Q&A box and we'll take those later in the program. Just so you see how we're gonna spend our time, first we're gonna go about 35 to 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Dr. Maya Hightower, Chief Digital and Technology Officer with the University of Chicago Medicine. Aaron Miri, SVP, Chief Digital and Information Officer with Baptist Health and Clay Ritchie, CEO with Verado. So let's uh, jump right in. Um, Maya, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role?
1: Sure, absolutely. So I'm coming from the University of Chicago Medicine. We are an academic medical system located in Hyde Park in the south side of Chicago. uh, Four different hospitals uh, with uh, a real dedication towards our community, health equity, as well as providing world-class academic tertiary-cortiary care to the greater Chicago and beyond area. Uh, So the um, role of Chief Digital Technology Officer was relatively newly created on the inaugural uh, um, CDTO. Um, It was created really uh, for this purpose of digital transformation and leading the organization, uh, both in strategic and digital transformation strategy, as well as IT
0: operations. Excellent, thank you for joining. Aaron.
2: Thanks for having me again. Uh, Aaron Meary, Senior Vice President, Chief Digital and Information Officer for Baptist Health here in Northeast Florida. Uh, we are the largest uh, locally governed, regionally governed uh, health system uh, in the in the area. Um, we have uh, everything for as an integrated healthcare delivery s- system from pediatrics to adult, ambulatory, long-term care, uh, you name it. I've been around for 65, 66 years, serving Northeast Florida and Southeast Georgia. Uh, Also to the point, just like Maya, uh, my role is new. Uh, They created a chief digital and information officer on the inaugural CDIO uh, for the health system, exactly to the point of what Maya was saying, to transform an already world-class health system into a digitally uh, inclined world-class health system. So happy to talk more about it this time and uh, really get into some details.
0: Very good, Aaron. Thank you. Clay? Uh, Clay Ritchie, uh, CEO of Verado.
3: Uh, At Verado, we've... Uh, our laser focus on building uh, purpose-built for healthcare identity data management platforms that are uh, used by our customers across the care continuum. Uh, Healthcare organizations like Baptist and University of Chicago uh, are customers of ours, as well as uh, organizations and uh, payers, uh, uh, life sciences, uh, uh, public health, uh, and HIEs. And we endeavor uh, to solve uh, the problem that we think drives everything else in healthcare, which is knowing who is who, by b- being the single source of truth for identity uh, across uh, uh, all your uh, uh, patients, consumers, and providers, so that you can have a complete longitudinal view uh, of those people as you as we're delivering care to them, not only uh, in the you know in the health system uh, that, that they might be accessing care with, but also across the care continuum in uh, all, all, all of the, the, the value chain. So uh, really excited to be with you, Anthony, and uh, thanks for hosting today's webinar.
0: Very good, thank you, Clay. All right, let's jump right in, Maya. We're gonna start with you. Talk about your digital transformation journey. What are some of the key areas you wanna drive value and impact in your organization? There's some examples there. What are some of your recent projects or products you're working on and what are some of the accomplishment, accomplishments you've seen? And what have you found to be the most challenging area, digital transformation? So wherever you want to jump in there.
1: Sure, absolutely. So um, I've been with the University of Chicago Medicine for about two months now. So the nice exciting part of that is uh, that uh, it's, this is really that point in time where we're defining what our digital uh, strategy and, and a roadmap is. And so taking all of those inputs, um, inputs from our business owners, of course, and my colleagues with other executive vice presidents across the operational enterprise, um, our faculty, as well as our um, our department chairs, the pain points of usability, our community. Uh, so we have a very strong commitment to the South Side of Chicago and um, working with our, our um, health equity diversity and, and um Inclusion team and making sure that we're making, we're building products that are um, equitable and really meet the needs, the pain points of our most vulnerable populations. So, taking all of those inputs and creating that um, output of a strategy um, aligned with a vision. And our vision really is uh, we're at the forefront of medicine. bringing the digital health strategy or digital health the world needs, uh, recognizing that University of Chicago is is a pretty unique place and we're well positioned uh, to address digital health equity um, in that combination of being a world-class premier academic medical center, um, being located in the south side of Chicago where, you know, the majority population, many people talk, talk about, you know, majority minority populations and our minority population, actually is our majority population. Uh, So about uh, over 60%, if you were to look at EPIC, um, of our population is African-American. So we we serve a very diverse community. Um, And then that, I mean, we're in the University of Chicago Medicine campus is on the University of Chicago campus. And so we have just this rich academic brain power Um, with uh, faculty from the Booth School, from the Booth, which is the business school, number one in the country, um, as well as uh, our public um, policy and um, computer science. And uh, so being the home of of Nobel laureates isn't a a bad place to be when it comes to brain power, but how do you bring that all together? And so one of the um, digital initiatives that we have Doing all of these assessments and, and some of the assessments are sort of like Gartner, where are we benchmarked in terms of our infrastructure, our digital capabilities our, um, across uh, the, the health system is, okay, you discover that, you know, we're not transformed yet, but we do have some bright spots. And so those inputs that I talked about that make UChicago so special um, actually has translated to some bright spots around um, AI and um, fair AI, ethical AI. And so how can we take uh, that commitment to digital health equity around AI, where we're actually quite advanced, um, and that be the pinnacle of um, where we you know, distinguish ourselves nationally, internationally, while at the same time addressing uh, the foundational elements that all health systems need to address? I mean, uh, you can actually, we've cobbled together a pretty sophisticated data lake, um, but not quite scalable data lake, right? So like where it's an on-prem data lake that will service our immediate needs for for advanced AI, uh, but, um, you know, how then in the background, you can, you know, um, making sure that we're building that infrastructure and those capabilities to scale, whether it's through cloud or uh, through orchestration and, and data um data orchestration and that kind of thing. So that's where we are as far as you know those key drivers is really identifying where we have a, a marketplace advantage, where we have a pl- you know opportunity to be um, world class and we actually already are world class, but accelerating that. And then at the same time balancing that with that infrastructure, the um, alignment around you know being able to offer all of the digital experiences that our, our operational leaders are demanding. And those experiences, you know, we're not built for but those capabilities around delivering a digital experience. Um, our new capabilities, they're underdeveloped. Um, so that's, that's part of the roadmap, right? How do we transform that ability to both provide a, um, a project output, say waterfall, but as well a product and experience based So all of those are in that sort of roadmap on capabilities we need to develop. still accelerating.
0: Very good. Lots there. And I think we'll follow up in a minute, but I want to hear from Aaron. What uh, What are your thoughts on the question here? What are you up to?
2: Absolutely. So I look at it in three dimensions, effectiveness, efficiency, and consumerization. Let's double click that and what that actually means. So effectiveness, right? Are you able to deliver care at the right place at the right time in an effective manner? Meaning that patient Aaron felt that he was supported through his care continuum journey. So every touch point we have gone through and we have mapped out all the way from intake through discharge, Clay's actually seen some of these diagrams, but we've actually mapped out in detail what are those touch points with our health system from reg all the way through discharge and ensuring there's a smoothing function in there that we're effectively delivering care via technologies, right? Do I actually know who Aaron is and who's interacting with Aaron. Do I know what devices are interacting with Aaron? Much less what's going on in the medical record and making sure that that is also effective, right? What's good medicine is a question we ask ourselves often. So from a digital capability perspective, it's about hyper accelerating effectiveness. It's about hyper accelerating efficiency. So, do we measure our OR start times? Do we make sure that we have uh, our no show rate as dropping through the floor to make sure that, that is, we have people readmitting and reshowing that when needed to be? Do we have folks leveraging the digital tools out there to schedule their own appointments for their own appointment types? Do we do things in an efficient manner to make sure that our health system is healthy, functioning in today's day and age where you have labor costs and inflation through the roof? That we're doing everything as as efficient as possible without sacrificing good quality patient care, and then lastly is consumerization, right? Making sure that we are embracing modalities that our consumers want to engage with us on. Example, not that launching a new electronic medical record is a strategy; it's a tool, right? And it's just a newer tool. But the reality is, when you do that, you have you have the options to be able to turn on features that maybe you traditionally did not. Example, we never took Apple Pay or Google Pay. Right. Those are one of the first things we turned on because our patients are asking for us like, man, I want to pay my copay with my Apple Pay account. Why can't I I can buy Coke at the grocery store with it? Why can't I do this? OK, well, fine. So to the degree of it, there's opportunities there from a consumer technology adoption platform that you're able to really intertwine with the health system. I don't want to underscore the importance, though. If you think of like three legs of a stool there, I just laid out for you. At the underpinning of all this is data analytics and actually knowing and seeing the entire care continuum and building the right digital lenses to measure effectiveness, efficiency, and consumerization. Now, we all know for anybody who's taken a database class or a data class that the most important thing in any of that is a primary key. Well, that primary key is your identity. So that's why a lot of health systems undertaking a digital revolution have to get their identity story straight with fidelity and immutability around that identity so that you can be effective, efficient, and have true consumerization at the point of care. That's how we're tackling it.
0: Yeah, and we'll go into that uh, identity piece more in a little bit. Uh, It certainly seems to be foundational. Clay, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think that uh, uh, it's hard for me to talk uh, about what we do without talking about identity in the sense that I think both what... uh, Uh, Maya and Aaron outlined here is that in the organizations, they're embracing digital transformation. They're really trying to craft strategies uh, that allow them to better understand their their customers' or patients' needs and and really better coordinate care across at every touchpoint across the care journey. And with this increasingly complex digital world that we're living in, Um, This really drives a a lot of complexity with how you actually stitch together all that data and understand who it belongs to so that you can truly localize it to the patient and treat the whole patient that you you have in front of you. Um, And I think that, you know, what I love about what's happening right now in healthcare is this uh, today, I mean, Anthony, it's interesting, right? Like we've got two folks, uh, experts on the call today that have chief digital officer in their title. Uh, where would that, where would that have been? You know, just, just two years ago, you know, we would have been looking across the healthcare providers and figuring out, well, you know, who really owns that digital experience. I think it's this amazing testament that we're seeing the commitment to this digital transformation in healthcare with folks like uh, you know Maya and Aaron uh, having you know kind of explicit remits around around digital, about digital as, as, as well as the broader responsibilities. A lot of that has to do with how hard this is to create that that consumer that consumer uh, experience that we're looking for, and uh, you know, and and everything that that Verado does is to try to help you know those challenges, that complexity, be be eased through uh, a a single data management platform that helps you understand who is who across all those different disparate data sources, Uh, and not only just for patients, but also for providers, so that you understand that patient-provider relationship, and then finally. You know, as health systems are getting much more sophisticated with how they think about acquiring new patients, being able to also have an understanding of who your consumers are further up the funnel and being able to engage with them and know this consumer who just engaged with me online, filling out a web form, is that the same patient I have already treated in the past? What is their history? How can I truly understand who they are, where they are? And that's where we're investing a lot of our energy around consumer, patient, and also provider, making sure that we have a data model and framework that helps stitch together those identities across those three domains so that we can give that holistic experience that both Aaron and Maya talked about.
0: Very good. Very good. Lots lots to go into there. Um, Let's get to the next question. Aaron, we're going to start with you. What technologies do you consider foundational for the creation of a welcoming and efficient digital front door?
2: So I'll be honest, the the term digital front door kind of drives me a little bonkers because there's not one door uh, to enter a health system, right? There's numerous doors and trap doors and (laughs) holes and whatever else. But no, the reality is um, when you look at technologies that are ubiquitous uh, at scale, right? At the end of the day, first you have to look at how do you effectively map your workflow out, right? How do you get in front of caregivers like Dr. Hightower and others and say, tell me how you conduct your clinic, right? So put technology aside for two seconds. Can you have a foundational conversation about workflow, how it should go, and how it is actually going? When you can define that in the actual use case of applicability, then you look at technologies that are platform int- intensive, meaning that you can do a lot of things with them, they're malleable, you're able to be work through. And so to the degree of it, we partner with corporations and companies uh, that actually do provide platforms, right? Again, if you look at electronic health record, if you look at you know back-end CRM systems, if you look at those kinds of things. We look for malleable technologies that absolutely can then introduce the multiple doors and experiences that our patients and our caregivers alike are asking for lastly i would also say that data that is uh discrete in nature is always the key it's amazing how many technologies still play in the world of pdf or flat files you can't do anything with um and so we really look for uh true discrete data matching and data type standards that allow us to really think different about the way we pivot and and, give velocity to our business entities and our business units. So I know that I've talked very general. because I'm trying to avoid using product names or company names in this thing, but the reality is it's platform first, data intensive, and then making sure that there's a ubiquitous about it so it can go across all levels of care effectively. Excellent. Maya, your
0: thoughts? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I agree very much with that combination of uh, process, plus uh, technology and then understanding the experiences um, or the pain points, the user stories and designing an experience based on uh, those what you've got, those inputs. Uh, So so when it comes to that idea of platform first, I I mean, I think we're trying to evolve. Yes, we do platform really well we don't do very well is experience and really being able to take that malleable orchestration piece uh, where you have other applications that fill gaps that our platform can't. um, But making sure that those applications are using standard APIs uh, that you can plug in and if it doesn't work, rip it right back out. Um, But really leveraging that platform, your core platform, in a way that you wouldn't be able to if you weren't able to then Um, orchestrate or uh, compose an experience adding on these other applications and that's really and even how you put together those other applications say uh, you want to have a payer experience you know the patient payment experience you're leveraging that on top of your core platform your your core electronic uh, record platform um, understanding the patient's pain points and and then Some of that might be out of the box from your vendor, but some of that experience may actually be leveraging your CRM or leveraging data from um, other applications, other core platforms, being able to take that data and then trigger um, an experience in your uh, composable or your your, uh, um, applications that's on top of your your main platform. So I think that is going to be the key in being able to orchestrate experiences that actually solve or address um, a user story or an experience, uh, crafts an experience that's very tailored uh, to a certain type of patient with a certain type of pain point. Uh, But that is, um, you know, new capabilities, new um, skills that we need to teach our our IT team members, uh, that difference between uh, being um, a prod a project owner versus a product owner um at, at new in terms of you know we've traditionally been a very lean organization and lean and waterfall just isn't going to work and being able to uh, be able to craft these experiences, it's going to really going to take agile and um and you know Fusion teams and and uh, or agile teams uh, to be able to craft that so I think those are all going to be foundational so it's New capabilities in the, the way that our teams actually operate. It's a new operating model. New um, Leveraging our existing main platforms with these applications that we uh, put on top and can, can almost uh, craft very tailored experiences that meet our local patient needs.
0: Aaron, I got to hear your thoughts on Maya's comments.
2: I think she's spot on, and I do think there's one other element that we've done also here is really introduce observability and site reliability engineering. So taking some of the principles of a product management company and embedding them into your health system and into your digital delivery teams gives them a, a framework and a top of mind to make sure that they are operating almost as a product company with sprint cycles that match up to what expectations are, not just features, but also new products to deliver. And now you co-create, you have a license to create alongside your service lines, as you would, say, working with a GM at a product development company. It should be the same form of fashion. So it is a mind shift. It is a retooling and reskilling. There is some resistance you run into from folks who've always done it this way. Right. Quote unquote. But the reality is that you upskill your team. Uh, Case in point, my DevOps team here, a lot of them came from the server admin world, but they knew how to do scripting and now they're DevOps engineers and growing observability. Right. We've got QA. uh, We've got UX designers now. We didn't before. So we do things here very much like a software development company with the intent of building out software. Um, Almost to that point, we also rolled out a low code platform uh, to really embrace citizen development across Baptist to where our caregivers can write their own apps. And in fact, our nurses have written two different apps already. One's an eye washing app. Another one's a crash cart inventory app. They wrote it. They designed it. They knew what they wanted. We gave them the trusted data sources. It was drag and drop. It's very easy. They built their own app. Push it out to their own devices. Boom. Why am I going to stand your way? Right. We helped Sherpa them, but the clinicians know best. So I agree. Everything Dr. High Tower said, and then some.
0: Very good, Clay. Your thoughts? Well, I think uh, yeah. Uh, to echo uh,
3: Aaron's last comments, you know, uh, if I'm going to say ditto everywhere, and I think that they're, they're everybody's spot on. I think. When I uh, talk to our customers broadly about this idea of digital front door, you know, really I think what is coming to mind, front of everybody's mind is, is, is this idea of consumerism and how do we truly think about the patient, uh, the patient experience in this increasingly uh, digital online consumer world that we're living in. Um, you know, so uh, over 50% of millennials and younger today won't have, do not have a PCP. They don't have a relationship with a primary care physician, and you know who like the rest of us, people like myself that are not a millennial anymore. I won't get my age. Uh, you know, I have a primary care physician, and that primary care physician navigate. You know, I, I see them. They know all my aches and pains and my history. They navigate me through the various types of specialists and needs I might have throughout my my life. But that's not the 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 the, the status quo anymore. The status quo is much more shifting towards you know digital consumerism and. Um, you know my previous uh, experience before Verado, uh, I was leading uh, one of the leading uh, CRM platforms in healthcare and what we were t- doing is we were working with health systems on helping them increase their digital engagement techniques so moving from billboards to digital digital marketing so they can be much more efficient at, at acquiring patients. And in that world, we were doing 100% digital, but only 20% of folks that were interacting digitally with the health system actually wanted to actually schedule an appointment, find a doctor, research themselves, and and, and, and and you know kind of so they would they would consume digital information, but they would pick up the phone and they'd call the hospital 80% of the time, right, to the call center. Now I'm talking to all of our customers, and they're saying that has shifted to now it's 40% of the time people are pick are are actually wanting to have. Uh, a complete digital experience. They want to be able to find the doctor that they need. They want the, the specialist. They want to be able to uh, schedule themselves. They want to be able to have a tele a telehealth visit. So, like for me, like those are the the, the just fundamental foundational changes that's happening in a post COVID world. And in that environment. Everything that Maya and Aaron is saying is that absolutely becomes paramount because if you can't create a digital experience that keeps those patients coming to your front door, walking through that door and consuming care not only for today but for tomorrow and in their lifetime, you know, then then there's this kind of like the world is so much smaller competitively because of that dynamic. And I feel so uh, folks that are forward thinking around this area. They're they're doing all the things that. The, that that have been mentioned. And and, and that I think is gonna become uh, one of the leading competitive edges that that health systems has as they're competing for lifetime value of patients going forward.
0: Very good, very good. All right, Clay, we're gonna stick with you. Identity is uh, important uh, for patient data and provider data. Uh, Talk about how getting patient and provider identity data right is such a key element of the digital front door. And what is the role of identity in allowing for the interoperability uh, needed to serve patients properly?
3: Sure. So I loved it when Maya talked about, uh, you know, the trigger experiences, thinking about a care journey and, and having events that trigger uh, 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 actions to engage the, the patient or the consumer in their care journey. Right place, right time, the right engagement. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you can't have those triggers if you don't understand who is who. Uh, you can't activate all of these programs and activate changing behavior without knowing who is who and having a fundamental understanding of identity. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the biggest gaps I believe exists. And for example, one of the bigger investments we've made in healthcare in the last you know 10 years around is population health. So we've we've invested so much, uh, so many resources in trying to understand how to stratify the risk factors in our patient population so we can proactively deliver better care. But what we've done not done such a great job about is figuring out how do we actually activate that population to change their behavior? How do we truly engage them and have a patient experience that gets them involved and and, and leaning into the type of care that we need so that they don't become a diabetic, for example, if they're at risk for diabetic or they don't have gaps in care? And what we're, when we're working with our customers, what we're seeing is that in order to have that level of engagement across the care journey, you have to be able to understand who is who at each of those touch points and across all of the systems so that now you can truly have that longitudinal, complete view that you can trust and you can act on. And I think that's really where an identity, identity management platform is necessary. And then the other piece of this is. If you really believe what I just said, you start thinking very differently about how you solve for that. In the past, you would have thought, okay, I have a clinical system in EHR, and I'm gonna solve for identity there. But the problem is everything I just said is now thinking about a person outside of the four walls of a clinical system. You're thinking about the person that's in your CRM system, a person that's in your population health system, a person that sits across all these other systems that are feeding your data warehouses and your actionable analytics, uh, uh, uh investments you know and uh you know in that world you 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 have to know who is who so that you can truly understand a complete picture a, a longitudinal view of that patient and and you know you don't get there without understanding identity and i uh, uh and I think that's just a foundational element of, of interoperability
2: i, I want to uh, double play go, really ahead. Quick. go ahead I I me let me let me underscore something that clay just said and i'm going to say this from my purview as co-chair of the Health Information Technology Advisory Committee, right? We're the committee that was established by Congress in the 21st century cures to advise the administration, this is my third administration to advise, on interoperability rules. One of those is related to information blocking, right? Which on October and beginning of this month, uh, the full definition of electronic health information had to be adopted, meaning that if patient Aaron shows up at Baptist, Baptist has to give me my complete medical record. That's not just the data in your EHR. That's the data and all surrounding systems that also engage. And as anybody who knows anything about healthcare IT is that you typically have hundreds of systems that have to interact to produce that legal medical record, right, that sits in your EHR. So identity management, exactly like Clay was saying, is all-encompassing and is so critical to get right because if you're expecting a digital front door with just your EHR, good luck. It will not happen. That's like clapping for hope. It's it's pointless. (laughs)
0: Great yeah. stuff, Aaron. Great stuff. Maya, your thoughts?
1: Yeah. So my thoughts are really around how do we take um, the, the traditional approach to data warehousing, which is to have a patient, patient-centric data model, um, or for that matter, provider-centric data model within the data warehouse, where you're aggregating, say, your EHR data, your CRM data, your um, your uh, whatever other application that 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 is contributing to the patient's data model. Um, And that's actually often where we'll we'll do that identity matching, right, at the data warehouse level. Uh, But it is so labor intensive in the traditional data warehousing framework. And what I haven't figured out, and this is maybe something for the whole entire panel, actually, is how do you translate that traditional data warehousing approach um, that now we have even more applications, more um, inputs to to orchestrate? Um, How do you translate into capabilities that may Leverage cloud or uh, where the data isn't so well um, um, modeled, um, where the, the the data model isn't as well uh, put together as, uh, you know, in a cloud environment uh, where you have more data inputs. Um, and so I haven't figured out and neither has has my, my architects figured out how to do that in a way that scales to the amount of uh, disparate data that we now have have today and growing because for a good amount of like say the IoT the devices we don't actually use that data right now right there's a huge amount of data we don't actually tap into but if we really want to get into that digital transformation and understanding the complete data journey that digital twin for that patient um got to figure out a sustainable way that isn't your traditional data modeling within your data warehouse and I'd love to hear feedback from my panelists
0: well we're going to do it right now Maya You've jumped the the gun, but let's do it. Let's do it, Maya. (laughs) Aaron,
2: what do you got for Maya? Yeah, so great, great question. So yeah, you're exactly right. If you, especially in a research environment where you probably have an OMOP, data model standard for your primary database but you also have i2b2 and other uh, models you need to conform to to be able to share data in you know in a very discreet manner it becomes difficult quick right whether you leverage something like a snowflake or something else that's very common out there whether you're in amazon Azure, gcp or take your flavor they're all the same problems it's the same challenge no matter where you are as as data intensive as academic medicine and tertiary carriers all the way to a rural fqhc you're going to have these issues so the whole point of transformation, which is what Dr. Hightower is asking about and she's asking explicitly how do you pivot your organization there, starts with first pivoting your internal structures of how you're looking at it. Who is actually doing this work, when, you know, it's architects, yes, we have enterprise architects, but we also have some of our frontline clinicians involved in our architectural discussions to say what should we do here and actually looking at their data. I will tell you that I have a number of clinicians and practitioners that work within my department. So there's still 0.2 or 0.5 on the clinical floor, still seeing their patients. They know best. So when it comes to clinical scrubbing of the data and folks actually going through it, we have democratized that uh, through our data teams back to the governance of the organization. The organization owns their data, air quotes, owns their data to make sure that it's accurate and relevant we push that through also our audit committee of the board to make sure the board has eyeballs on this importance of it cuz it's a patient safety issue end of the day as well as it's a clinical quality and research component to it then last but not least is making sure that your IT teams understand not just that you have a bolus of data great like that doesn't mean anything but you actually have lenses that tell you the story of what's going on and so that decision science componentry is critical because if you can tell a story of what's actually going there from I don't know, say renal kidney failure across your region and where it's happening at and where the zip codes you need to target, make sure that you know you have true uh, clinical support and coverage for those, for those patients in need, just as an example, then now you're having a different kind of discussion and your data is activated in a way that's dynamic. But I don't think there is a, a utopia state, but the only way I've seen it work is by democratizing ownership back to the business and IT becomes a Sherpa and less about being the primary owner and and steward of of data itself.
1: Yeah. No, definitely I, I um, one thing that would- my data warehouse team in the past has joked about it's like it's no longer ETL it's ELT (laughs) they need need to switch those acronyms because you like uh, you know you you extract you you uh trans you load the data and then hope once the use case comes up first then you start doing the hard work of transforming that into like a usable data set and like I said democratizing that process uh, but organizing it up front which is essentially the the traditional data warehousing approach where you have like a predefined data model, and then you you um, make sure that all of your the data that you've got conforms to that model. Um, no longer works in this sort of you know digital transformation in the future. It's like starting from that use case, starting from that um, experience-based approach, and then going into the what uh, one of my data architects would call the dumpster dive. <laughs> Into the data and figuring out how to piece it together into
0: an, an orchestrated experience. Clay, did you have any thoughts on Maya's question?
3: Oh, uh, it's funny. I was uh, I was going to reach for my magic eight ball here, <laughs> and I was going to, uh, but, uh, but only in the context of, I think really where Maya was going. At, you know, at the end of her com- her comment, which was starting with the use cases, starting with the questions you want to ask this, and then from there you know, working through the data model and the data extractions and, and, and getting, uh, you know, uh, in by doing that, you're peeling back the, the the layers of the onion in a more focused you know, way. And, and you're, and you're putting those resources, in, you know, in a high valued focused way. So, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the conversation I've been having with a lot of our customers as they're thinking about this. And, uh, you know, I don't know if any of us have a good exam, a good answer yet on the dumpster diving part of her comment. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I'd say that um, organizations that are focusing on identity first have a lot better opportunity at, at, at that dumpster dive because they've already have a better opportunity to, to normalize that data at, at the identity level. Uh, and uh, you know, that's that, that, that would maybe be my my my, my last selfish comment. So
2: well, I wouldn't even say selfish, right? I mean, I would say, and I guess this will be. I'll just jump in, Anthony, and just yeah. say, from my question back to the group, to my panelists. You know, I I, I see identity as a patient safety. Issue, but I also see identity uh, as a cyber issue as well, right? And and truly, if we are, which we are all under attack, and I'm sure Dr. Hightower has the same horror stories I do as a provider care organization of what's happening every single day. Um, if we don't accurately protect the crown jewels per se, which is electronic protected health information, so that all of patient Aaron's information truly is intact and immutable, then we're doing a disservice to the community, and so. I would be curious to my panelists, which is, you know, what is that, what is that symbiotic relationship between identity and, and cybersecurity? And I don't mean it in terms of, you know, access to systems and, and that's, that's sort of, that's, that's table stakes. I mean, the next level of identity management and true throughput management and eventually patient safety. Identity is a natural threat in all of that, right? Which is why NIST has spent so much time really, really going through the the IAL rules and whatever else. So I'm curious, Clay and Dr. Hightower how are you viewing cyber and identity and that tie-in and the key componentry that identity is in that? Clay, we'll start with you.
3: Oh, thanks. Thanks, Aaron. I I know that you've, uh, this has been a conversation that you and I have, you've been wanting to ask me for a while. So thank you. Um, And we've had some good dialogue about this. So look, I I think that uh, one of the things that Aaron brings up, which I really appreciate is that uh, even with Rados, for example, the, the, the typical kind of the, you know, Best-in-class cloud, you know, born in the cloud identity management platform today. Um, you know, I think we are we, we, starting to tackle some of that immu- immutability that, that you're talking about in the sense of making sure that you have you know private, secure, trusted information. But as you start to think about how to push that more to the front the front end of the sphere, where, where you know at every touch point, are we are we able to actually authenticate to a patient, understand who that patient is? You know, I think that you know we're starting to look at things like well. Where do things like blockchain and things technologies like that come into play, so that we can leverage some of, the, of those practices around around security that we can trust? Uh, we're also thinking about things like uh, how do we think about identity proofing and how do we think about uh, you know uh, you know kind of authentication leveraging multi factors, but in a way that actually makes sense. So you know, Aaron, opened my you know I never forget a conversation you and I had about the the pilot that you're running during covid around homeless folks of uh, people that you're trying to make sure you manage and, and, uh, covid uh, you know, uh, vaccines and care to, to and one of the things that you realized in that, in that research is that they all had a phone right mm-hmm. i mean and we've been sitting here thinking okay we you know we're going to leave too many populations behind by thinking about how do we leverage uh, uh, you know digital devices like this in order to deliver that type of security you might be thinking about and you know, so I think that there's a way of thinking very differently about you know what do we have that's ubiquitous? What are technologies that we can trust that has already proven to be immutable? and how can we leverage that infrastructure that we, that's already there, build on top of that to deliver the type of 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 uh, you know, good experience uh, at the same time secure? And uh, it, it, so that's what we're, that's what we're thinking about. as we're thinking about um, you know uh, how to solve this problem? You know, you know inside the walls of, of Verado. Um and then the last thing I say on oh, that oh, talking a little bit about the convenience of security. We you know I talked about identity proofing earlier. Like you know, we have to move away from these types of solutions and say, okay, in order for me to actually know that this is Clay, Richie, I'm gonna ask him a bunch of mm-hmm. you know questions that he'll never have any idea what the answers are. Mm-hmm. Right? Um and, and we gotta get to something that's more practical. Mm-hmm. Like how do we how do we how do we do that that proofing? And and once you can truly trust that's who it is. Then again, all these triggers and the care journey is you know kind of it all comes together in a much more thoughtful, uh, secure way.
0: Exactly. You mean you you don't want you don't want to talk about what your first pet's favorite toy was, (laughs) (laughs) right? Maya, what are your thoughts?
1: Yes. So so, uh, to to Clay's point, uh, really around identity management being. Um, a key to, to understanding how we can best orchestrate experiences, but um, from a perspective of cybersecurity and identity, I hadn't really thought about it uh, specifically until this moment. But one, one area of, of interests that we've had, um, and more this is because uh, it's one of the, the areas of uh, focus that for my AI team has really been around adversarial AI, and similarly that same concept of you know AI being not for good, but for bad, but worse, an algorithm can be manipulated um, by a a malicious force. And so uh, that same concept around identity management, presumably, and now I'm going to take this back to the the team, would that be some sort of mechanism that we could prevent against adversarial AI? Um, That's was just a, a thought that popped into my mind. Um, over you're the, exactly the right. The conversation.
2: Impersonation is the number one yeah. th- attack vector, right? So think yeah. about it, right? The more yeah. mutable your identity, the more the more hardened you are in your defenses to stop it. Not that anything's 100%. There's no technology, but just think about it, right? It all starts, yeah. I'm trying to say, it starts at the edge. It starts with identity.
0: Very good. Clay, did you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Yeah, so
3: I um, I was going to ask Aaron and, 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 and Maya, I'd love to have your, your thoughts as well of, uh, of it.
2: You know, uh, you
3: know, Aaron. I know that you just went through a a, a, a big migration um, from multiple EHRs into one, uh, um, and you know, it, through that journey, you know, uh, we developed a relationship, and identity management became kind of a part of of a strategy around, uh, that you're deploying. And I was just curious if you have, you know, advice to you know, look. I don't know if I've talked to a CIO that's not thinking about how do I continue to reduce the number of EHRs I have in my organization. And as I acquire, you know, you're either being acquired or you're the acquirer in today's world of scale and growth. Uh, you know, so that question is not one that you ever put to bed, right? There's always going to be another system to to, to, to consolidate with. I was just curious if you might give some advice or or, or what lessons have you learned as, as you went through this and it was in the context of identity management and, and really making. Uh, the importance of identity is you're thinking about consolidating you know, these various systems uh, into one or into a few.
2: No, you're exactly great question, Clay. So I think step one is to really define the problem statement very explicitly. But I don't mean define the problem statement like I have 10 EHRs, like I can collapse to one. It's more or less defined, and I found really working like an e-commerce company, and you mentioned some of the measures earlier, right? What's your what's your customer acquisition costs? What's your lifetime value of the, of the customer acquisition? What are these componentry that you're trying to measure? And then figure out what systems do you have to actually provide you and produce the data and that report out as necessary. And start thinking of your health system as a product company. When you start doing that and you start assigning measures and the true PL growth and trend lines to that, to say, I need to grow this service line, which is a product, think of it like a GM, Right, this product. I need to get a funnel of patients in, which is your pipeline. Uh, and I need to be able to. My, I need to be able to look at myself and say, okay, I'm meeting these metrics appropriately, and I'm capturing them digitally in a way that makes sense. So again, I I, I don't want to equate patients to to selling widgets, but the reality is the business, and you have to define that. What's interesting about electronic health records is they're not designed for that. They were truly designed to do billing traditionally for Medicare and Medicaid for the government and being able to uh, charge against your private payers in a certain method and modality and force the physicians like Dr. Hightower to document a certain way so that they could prove to their underwriters that, yeah, this this procedure was worth $1,000 and it's underwritten with insurance purposes, et cetera, et cetera. And Dr. Hightower gets her cut as a physician and that's it, right? That was the purpose. They're not designed to do these other metrics. So to the point of what Clay is asking for, when you look at that, step back. Take a look at the big picture, figure out what you're going to measure, why you're measuring it, how it ties strategic pillars and your goals and objectives, and then layer it out all there. What's interesting are common themes and threads like identity, which we've established, and other componentry like data and analytics and so forth that come across all of those. Once those cut across and you think about it, you as a digital officer, as a strategist, can sit down with your business operations team, say, here's how I'm seeing it, here's where you want to go, here's the gap. And here's what we're going to build out together to make sure that we fill in fill in those gaps. So that's my answer to your question, Claire. Awesome, thank you,
1: Maya. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, we haven't had the um, the the our challenge around uh, multiple EHRs is much less um, significant than uh, than Aaron's. So we have one EHR and um, have been uh, under that journey of when we acquire or have new practices. Um, Having them adopt our, our EHR um, and just not without without pain points in that you know, implementation of uh, the HR and um, how do we re- how do we maintain a, a service of record a record of the um, archived EHR um, identity management clearly is a, a key component uh, but to, to um, Aaron's point really being able to to thread the needle on. You know, how do we make sure that we're having the data that we need in order to uh, fill those operational gaps? And the fact that most platform systems are one trick ponies. So whether it's the EHR as a platform, being able to provide an EHR kind of experience, um, as to Aaron's point, sort of the billing and the very prescribed workflow for the providers in order to capture that, that information. Same with, you know, health systems. We actually have a whole slew of other platforms, including our HR platform, which is, again, very transactional. When you think about the way that we create a data model for our patient um, data model, um, our staff data model is chaotic in comparison, like (laughs) trying to to craft the the journey of our employees is far more challenging than a patient journey, if if only because the maturation of uh, the uh, uh, transactional nature of, of HR systems. Um, are so very transactional and not longitudinal in their perspective because they haven't weren't designed that way and that's the same for um, for a CRM you know they, each of these platforms were designed with a particular view and now we as a system in order to provide the system so you need to string it together um, to to really provide that full um, perspective on whether it's our patients our c- consumers our employees our staff. Um, all of which are incredibly important these days as we're trying to as well um, ensure that we have an exceptional employee experience and combat burnout um, and really ensure that it's that that uh the efficiency of the workplace is is um, addressed in a way that uh, really alleviates some of that burden of um of inefficiency so having that uh, same identity management uh, perspective I think is important across our platform in order to be able to string your, these experiences across our platforms.
0: So Aaron, let me start with you on this. Um, we've talked a lot and I've heard this, uh, these these words come up in other interviews and webinars recently, um, a lot more. Um, CRM, competition, being number one, acquiring patients, let's be a software company, let's act like a business, let's be competitive, let's get patients. Um I'm hearing that more and more uh from the best CIOs and digital officers out there is this a growing uh sentiment of competitiveness, a growing focus on growth um and would your advice to your colleagues be hey we we need patient safety that's paramount but if you're not thinking about growing your health system you're missing the mark today and you can't grow without becoming uh digitally focused. And oh, by the way, you can't be digitally focused unless you take care of your identity issues. Does that all make sense?
2: It does. And I think it's actually larger than just CIOs and healthcare and healthcare executives and CEOs. It's actually all industries, right? There is a complete, we're in a new era, right? A a 4.0 wave of the information age where everything is digital. Every sector is digital. I mean, I saw something recently that like Starbucks is is adding robotics to make their baristas a lot more effective at being able to pour cold drinks because cold drinks make up seventy percent of their gross uh, profit year over year. So they want to make sure they make those frozen cappuccinos a lot faster or frappuccinos faster. <laughs> so it makes sense that everybody is looking at digital as ways to accelerate top line and also help you with EBITDA. Right? Can I become much more efficient and more effective in my healthcare operations? So. It's no, it's no surprise that boards of directors are challenging me and my colleagues saying, help us think different. Help us think beyond the transactional nature that healthcare has always done a great job of. And it's not a knock on, hey, traditional healthcare, because this, this country has very good healthcare, maybe not some of the best in the whole world, but we have very good healthcare and phenomenal clinicians. So to the degree of it, how do we revolutionize something, which is no, noticeably top quartile right? How do we make it even better? And, and that takes a, a generational shift of leaders. This is why you're seeing more practitioners like Dr. Hiretire become these roles. People like me, who went from being a provider CIO to a product CIO back to a provider CIO, who have those experiences outside of the industry, bringing that knowledge back into healthcare. You have CIOs who don't, who weren't even in healthcare. They were in, you know, working for some of the giants, Honeywell and other big corporations that they're coming into healthcare. So you're seeing this, this truly diverse landscape of digital leaders that 10 years ago, it was very traditional, keep the lights on, make sure those mainframes are running just fine and you're good to go forever. Well, those days are gone. And so the expectation now is for you to be a digital nativist and to understand how to drive those KPIs I spoke to earlier, and more importantly, how to drive new business through those doors in every and every door that's that's open, not just your front door, but every door that's open.
0: Fantastic, Maya. Yes,
1: absolutely. The demand for growth is um, at least from from our CEO is is um, I don't know if insatiable is the right word, uh, but and how do we capture. That that consumer, um, because we know the consumers are aware of the say you Chicago brand. Uh, the consumers, especially with COVID, Academic Medical Centers and our visibility and being a trusted source of information, uh, has been you know through the roof. Like who do you go to? Who have the the broader public gone to uh, for trusted information? Um, our health systems, especially those that provide or are even generating new insights from um, from the data and research and trials and and permanent care. And so how we know that our touch points far expand, are far greater than those that actually schedule an appointment. And so that's where that that drive for uh, closing that gap and being able to provide the world more of this great medicine that we provide, Um, but understanding those pain points. And it really is understanding that consumer to a level that we've never needed to understand before, before we just Throw open our doors and expect people to come, uh, but uh, the the competitive landscape is very different today than it was 20 years ago. Even for academic medical centers that you know sit on top of a hill, we're we're we don't sit on a hill, <laughs> and it's a very competitive market. When, when you have, say, here in Chicago, where we have three actually preeminent academic medical centers uh, um, in in very close proximity, uh, and so. Let's just say if you are sick in Chicago, you are going to be well taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> but with that is that demand for growth, that demand from our uh, boards mostly around experiences. I don't think they're so articulate in saying we need to we need to be more product focused. What they say is we need an experience like our Apple experience. We need our experience like our Starbucks experience. So we want that. A consistent brand experience, like when we go to, um, say, a preeminent hotel. um, And I want that same experience when I see, when I interact with the healthcare system and the system that figures that out is the systems that are going to be that top quartile that are going to grow to the point of um, really to the expense of those that aren't able to make that transformation.
0: Clay, we're going to give you the last word. We're about out of time today. What's what's your final thought? Hmm. Well, uh,
3: I think when I think about growth, um, yeah, you know, I think in healthcare growth used to be about uh, acquisition, uh, and uh, and then because if you think about growth, is really acquisition and its lifetime value. It's, it's it's keeping the patient. It's retention, and you know we used to have a captive audience. You know, I remember years ago talking with health system leaders about growth, and they said, look. Nobody's ever going to drive by my hospital to go to another hospital, and then they start saying, "Oh, you know, they're starting to drive by my hospital, so now I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to have uh, closer parking, and I'm going to have wayfinding, and I'm going to have better food, and I'm going going to do things of that nature to 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 make sure they don't you know for for retention." But what's happening now is that you know our Healthcare is being disintermediated on almost every one of our fronts. Uh, whether it be urgent care pop-ups and you know disintermediating the the, the emergency room, or it be uh, you know digital experiences, and uh, uh, and so this is not a game anymore of just acquisition. You, you you acquire the patient and then you keep them for life. It's also about a constant battle for that consumer, not only the first time but also to earn the lifetime value with retention. And I believe that forward-looking health systems are recognizing that this is a competitive advantage for us to embrace digital transformation and make it a key part of our strategy. So I think that's one step. The second step then is, okay, if I'm going to embrace that journey, then how do I give the right remit and focus and priority by giving executives in my organization clear line of sight to accountability to making sure that we have a, a strategy and a vision and, and we're executing against it. And I think that's, you know, kind of, I mentioned it earlier today, having folks in your organization that are not only CIOs, but also chief digital officers are clearly giving that type of, of a governance model that's needed to help give the focus and that priority. And then from there, I oftentimes tell my uh, folks across my company, in order, sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. And when I think about solving these problems, you know, really th- being thoughtful. And, um you know, I, I wrote on my page here, architect, ar- architecture, architecture, architecture. I, mm-hmm. I heard it from Maya. I heard it from Aaron. Like, you know, we, you know, when we built a great company at Verado, we, 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 we can never spend enough time architecting our solutions for, for just something that's so nuanced and so perfect, right? It, it, it's so flexible. It's so, and, and I feel like, you know, kind of, being able to take the time to go slow, to, to get the right architecture, to re- think through the use cases, to really understand what are those elements that you need uh, in, uh, in your infrastructure, so that you can go fast, kind of as as your business changes. You know, that's that's probably my biggest advice here as you start thinking about tackling uh, this this problem, not just for, as an opportunity for embracing consumerism, but also the long term viability and nimbleness. And I think if if, if uh, folks do that and do it well, you know, I think this is defining that edge, creating a very wide moat and and, and, uh, in, and, and I'm hopeful that, that means this is going to be uh, just a, a new opportunity for health systems like University of Chicago and, and Baptist Health to, to really get an unfair advantage and capture more market share in their in their world and their world is no longer university you know just Chicago or Jacksonville it's you know it's a much broader aperture right uh, when you think about that digital footprint.
0: Excellent. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in, the slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Dr. Maya Hightower, Aaron Murray, and Clay Ritchie. I want to thank Verado for sponsoring and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.